When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. At this point in my career, I, I had written letters, numerous letters, for, for almost three years to college staffs, letting them know I had an interest in being a you know, graduate assistant or an entry-level coach. And sent a lot of letters out and hadn't, hadn't gotten a lot of responses, um, to be really frank. And what had happened, um, there, was a, there was a coaching change at the University of Pittsburgh. Coaches from Tulsa were taking over at uh, Pittsburgh, and there's a guy named Keith Patterson. You know, I had reached out to him several times, made some phone calls that actually bumped into Coach Patterson before at a coaching clinic and kind of tried to tie myself to him from that. And he gave me a phone call saying, hey, we might have an opportunity after signing day, I'll give you a call. And signing day came and went and I, I didn't hear back, but I told my wife, this is the closest I've ever been to having a college job. And that's that's what spurred me in, into getting a new car and driving to Pittsburgh the next day is, this guy called me, I'm gonna see if I can make it into something more than that. This is the Mighty Oregon Podcast, presented by Oregon Community Credit Union. And this is part one of our conversation with new head coach of Oregon football, Dan Lanning. Do you recall when you first thought, I want to be a coach? Yes, it's kind of weird. I always reference back to this. When I was in, like, all the way through elementary school and the middle school, I love sports and I, I actually really love basketball as well as football. I thought I was gonna be a basketball player. And you know, I think somewhere right around seventh grade is when I kind of figured out, hey, I might not be a professional athlete. Um, but I remember knowing that I had a PE teacher named Ken Simmons that made it a huge impact on me and was a coach. He was a wrestling coach, I didn't wrestle, but the way he impacted me as a coach, it made me know I wanna be a coach and a teacher. And um, obviously my passion grew to be football, but at that time, you know, probably around seventh, eighth grade, I knew I wanted to be a coach. Already you'd given up the dream of, of being a player well, at I that point? Gave up. You know, everybody <laughs> wants to play as long as they can. For sure. And I still, I mean, I still love the competing sports, whether it's, 
you know, I mean, checkers, golf, whatever it is, I, I love to compete. That's what I enjoy. But I felt like I had a knack for coaching and I certainly appreciated the, the um, approach and, and what coaches had done for me. Um, and I wanted to be able to do the same thing. So in hindsight, you know, whether you were conscious of it or not, how strategic do you feel like you were, you know, through high school, through college, in terms of positioning yourself to, to move into the coaching ranks early? You know, I'd say I, I wasn't at all, um, but I was just aware that every moment there was something I can learn from. And I think I was really aware of that. You know, I knew I wanted to coach what level I think was to be determined. At, at that point, I probably felt really comfortable being a high school coach uh, my entire career. But as I, you know, wherever I was at, I think I always was aware that, hey, how would I utilize this as a coach down the road? And then I just kind of grew in the profession as opportunities came. did coach high school are there things you you learned from that experience that you you still utilize today absolutely absolutely what well, number one you never know as much as you think you know you know going in uh early as approach coming coming from being a college player thinking you kind of know everything you realize how much you don't know and then maybe as much as I learned as a high school coach I learned as an elementary PE teacher you know and just how to teach um you know how to develop and, and build relationships with kids you know I think that started at a young age for me yeah, obviously communication and kind of reaching kids on their level is so key to, to being a teacher and being, you know, when you're a coach, you're a teacher. So what do you feel like you learned over the years about different ways to reach different kids? I mean, there's gotta, it's gotta feel like there's, on some level, there's infinite strategies for reaching different kids. And on some levels, you also probably have some basic tenets that, that you try to apply in any case. I mean, there's certainly some black and white when it comes to teaching. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing I learned, both my parents were teachers, you know, so I walk away from every practice or every meeting we have as a team, you know, with a goal, right? And, and that's no different than a lesson plan, right? There's a lesson plan. At the end of this lesson plan, we want to be able to walk away and say, we know how to do this. We can, you know, uh, work multiplication, division, whatever that might be. It's no different for us in the football field or even just in the team room when we're doing a, a get real session and it's about connecting with our players. Um, so we try to build our program in a similar fashion that uh, we want to have a lesson plan for each day. These are the goals. Uh, that we want to attain and, and hit for the day um, and build from there. So there's a, a storied 13-hour drive you make to, to Pittsburgh to, to make an impression on a staff and try to get your foot in the door. Prior to that, what spurred your desire to say, hey, I want to go test myself at a, you know, with, as a major college coach and than trying to determine how to, how to go about getting your foot in the door? You know, for me, I think it was just an infatuation with football. I just love the sport so much. I enjoyed it. And, you know, as an elementary PE teacher, uh, as a high school, you know, coach, there's a limitation on the amount of time that I could really devote to the sport and how much I had, you know, enjoyed it. And then I always had aspirations for coaching at the absolute highest level um, and, and coaching premier athletes. And so that desire, I think, you know, combined with my just – the fact that I, I was infatuated with the sport and it's what I spent my time, it was my hobby, it's what I wanted to do away, it's what I enjoyed studying, you know, kind of put me saying, hey, I want to put myself around other people that are built the same way. And that, that's kind of what led to college ball. Give us the basics of this story. You just decided to hop in your car and cold call yeah, the Pittsburgh no, I, staff? Yeah, so to this point, at this point in my career, I had written letters, numerous letters, uh, 
for, for almost three years to college staffs, letting them know I had an interest in being a you know graduate assistant or an entry level coach in their program. And, and to be relatively honest, I didn't I didn't get a lot of response. You about so, mid twenties? Yeah, uh, twenty. Yeah, probably 24, 20 at this point, 24, 25. Um, and sent a lot of letters out and hadn't hadn't gotten a lot of responses, um, to be really frank. And what had happened, um, was a, there was a coaching change at the University of Pittsburgh. Coaches from Tulsa were taking over at uh, Pittsburgh and there's a guy named Keith Patterson, who's the D coordinator at Pitt. Um, and he, you know, I had reached out to him several times, made some phone calls that actually bumped into Coach Patterson before at a coaching clinic in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, and kind of tried to tie myself to him from that. And he gave me a phone call saying, hey, we might have an opportunity after signing day, I'll give you a call. Um, and to this point, this is the first response I'd really gotten from letters, phone calls, anything. And signing day came and went and I, I didn't hear back, but I told my wife, this is the closest I've ever been to having a college job. And that's, that's what spurred me in, into getting into a car and driving to Pittsburgh the next day is, this guy called me, I'm gonna see if I can make it into something more than that. What's the playlist for a 13-hour drive to Pittsburgh for Dan? Oh, Lanning? there's a lot. There's a lot of different things on that playlist. It's a long playlist, and then there's you know there's a point in the ride where you roll the window down and you're trying to keep yourself awake and you're drinking a Mountain Dew. You know, so at that point it was probably Trick Daddy. Trick kid. But early in the day it could have been Leonard Cohen, it could have been the Beatles, a little bit of everything. I mean, we, I love music. I got to figure some high calorie uh, rest stops along the way too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe a Waffle House or something. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't remember stopping a lot. The only, the only stop I really remember well on that trip was switching into a suit at like a Love's gas station, I think outside of Pittsburgh. Cause I was driving comfortable and I wanted to make sure I looked the part when I got there. So I put a suit on right before so you I stop at, a, at the office, a rest stop gas station. Yeah. Switch into a suit in the, into yeah. the bathroom and uh, hop back in the car. And then you get to the offices and the staff's not there. I did. I got to the I got to the office. I went to the lobby and I'm kind of sitting here waiting. It's a new staff, so I'm anticipating them get to the office a little bit early. And I'm I'm there for several hours before uh, a graduate assistant comes up the stairs. Um, his name's Eric Thatcher. He's still coaching. And uh, talked to Eric, and he said, "Yeah, all of our coaching staff's not here. They're actually a couple hours away in Happy Valley. They're at Penn State for a clinic." So I realized I drove this far, and the coaching staff wasn't there. But I kind of. Hung around all day, um, tried to do a little busy work and just kind of put myself around the office and finally was able to get the secretary to get me on the phone with Coach Patterson again. He told me, hey, I'll be back tomorrow. If you stay in town, I'll meet with you in the morning. So got a hotel room that night in, in Pittsburgh, got to meet with Coach Patterson um, the next morning and, you know, didn't tell him that my wife was pregnant and, and we had a one-year-old because I didn't want him to not hire me. But, you know, he told me, hey, we have a, a quality control position. It's going to pay 800 bucks a month. We'd love to have you on board. I, you know, I drove back that weekend, resigned from my position as a, as a teacher and coach, um, and then turned around and drove back on Wednesday and was back at work, ready to roll. So the Ducks will now be led next season by Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning. For me, I never wanted to leave Georgia for anything less than a job that I thought was an elite one, and this is that. It's very elite, right? It's Oregon. In fact, some people are saying that the fact it is your first head coaching job and it is at a place like Oregon puts you at a little bit of a disadvantage. What would you say to those people? Uh, sit back and watch. Sit back and watch. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited. This is a great opportunity. Um, we've got a great, a great uh, group of players that I'm excited to go coach. Uh, and I think time will tell. 
In the short time I've, I've been around you, you just strike me as relentlessly positive. Was there any point during that drive or during the wait at the offices where you were like, this might not happen? No, I don't think I ever did. I, I think the, the biggest thing that I thought about my entire drive was if I hadn't done this, if I wouldn't do this, I'll regret this the rest of my life. If I didn't take this chance, if it doesn't work out, so what, it didn't work out. But the what if of not trying was what I was more worried about or scared of than the what if of it not working out. I didn't want to know that uh, I had a chance to put my chips in the middle of the table and I didn't. So Todd Graham is the first you know, major college head coach you work for. You know, that list has uh, only grown and, and uh, added more impressive names to it. What are the biggest things you've, you've gleaned from each of, of these guys you've worked for that, that maybe, you're, you know, you put in your back pocket and, and uh, for w when you did eventually get your shot as a head coach? I mean, every one of them was extremely different. So I, I try to take, the, you know, some of the best qualities from each one of them and learn from each one of them. I, you know, Coach Graham was extremely passionate. I think one of the things that, you know, I identified really quick with him is hard work. This guy was relentless and I, I was competing every day to get to the office before he got to the office. You know, that was um, certainly a goal of mine. Um, you know, Casey Keeler was the next guy I worked for. Uh, Casey was an extremely, he, he was one of the best coaches I've ever worked for from a quality of life standpoint, did a great job of managing his players, but also giving you a, as a coach an opportunity to be a father and a husband. Um, you know, obviously working for Nick Saban speaks for itself. You know, coaching is teaching. Teaching is ability to inspire learning. I get a lot of positive self-gratification when I see our guys graduate. I get a lot of positive self-gratification when I see them go on and have success, not just in the NFL, but in other things that they choose to do. And we're, we're hopeful that something that they learned here in the program is helping them be more successful in life. I felt like I got my doctorate in football the year that I, you know, I coached at Alabama. Um, was extremely rewarding, was around some phenomenal head coaches or guys that even went on to become head coaches. I don't know how many head coaches we had on that staff, but you know, Kirby Smart, Mel Tucker, Mario Cristobal, Billy Napier, Lane Kiffin, uh, it was just a staff full of superstars, really. And, you know, I, I learned a ton uh, in my time there. Was there that sense at the time, like I'm surrounded by just elite minds or were you just kind of in the trenches grinding through it, not really thinking big picture like that? Um, yeah, in general, in general, I, I think I recognize that there, there are some really special coaches throughout the staff. And I think just getting there, you sit there and you say, OK, I realize why these guys have been so good. You know, Coach Saban does a great job coaching the coaches explaining his expectation for how things are done, but he also does a great job of letting their personalities shine through in, in the work they do. Um, so I got to really get to know each one of those coaches and how they operate and watch them firsthand and how they coach their players. So that was extremely beneficial. It was a really talented, you know, really special staff. Um, and then from there, I got to go work for uh, Mike Norvell at Memphis. And Mike was, it was fun for me working for Mike because you know, I was with Mike when he was an offensive coordinator at Pitt, an offensive coordinator at Arizona State, and I was a GA. And seeing him grow from a from an offensive coordinator to a head coach and how he embraced that role, honestly, I think I've taken a lot of that for from my time watching him take over that program at Memphis to, to my time here. Uh, and just the way he operated day to day, he has a great offensive mind, um, but he, he surrounded himself with good people and he's a relentless worker. Um, and uh, really he's just a big thinker, big picture. thought he saw big picture really well. And then obviously getting to link up again with Kirby Smart down the stretch was super beneficial for me. I trust Dan. He's done a tremendous job here. Uh, number one, he's a great recruiter. He's loyal to Georgia. He's loyal to these players he recruited. He, he knows for, for, for his sake and Oregon's program's sake, he wants to play well. 
And uh, he, he's as invested in this process as everybody is. Helped me grow more than anything as a defensive coordinator. You know, he, he again, coaching the coaches, I think, is a common theme. Willing to learn from anybody in the room. You know, Ker Kirby was exceptional of, okay, we're really good at this. How can we be better at this? Um, and we studied a lot of different programs, studied ways that we could improve. And that was super beneficial to me growing. One of the things Rob Mullins talked about, you know, when, when he was looking for uh, the next head coach, the, you know, the job you, you eventually took is, you know, he wanted a CEO of, of Oregon football. What were the, the, the first elements of the game and coaching that really grabbed you? And then how much does that have to expand naturally, you know, and, as you learn other duties, other, you know, other assignments, all that that goes into being a coach to position yourself to eventually be CEO of a program? rather than kind of one of the one of one of the guys in the trenches. Yeah, and I think this is one thing that you know, for me as I gradually advanced in the profession, I always felt like I was preparing myself for the next job. You know, so when I was a graduate assistant, I was operating every day as if, okay, if I'm a full-time coach, what am I doing here in this role at this time? You know, once I became a full-time coach, for me it was okay, if I became the defensive coordinator here, what would that look like? So, you know, building the game plan, how would I handle this? Making mental notes, of what that would look like. And then becoming a defensive coordinator, you sit here and say, okay, what are the things you really like? What are the things you do different? Uh, what would you build on as a head coach when you get that opportunity? Uh, and the best thing I think for me is when I don't have strong conviction about one thing or the other, I've got some really good guys to lean on. I can look back and say, okay, well, this is, this is how Nick did it uh, at Alabama. This is how Kirby did it at Georgia. This is how Mike did it at, at Memphis. Or, and that's what I've kind of leaned on is, if anything, I've learned how to be pretty good at observing and uh, taking pretty detailed notes on how things were done and building from that. And from a CEO standpoint, you know, I love coaching. I'm always going to be on the grass. I, I don't, I'm not going to be the coach that's up in the tower watching from afar. I want to be hands on, but I want to be involved in everything. So, you know, one of the things I'm enjoying as much as anything is as a D coordinator, you don't get to sit in the offensive meetings very often. I'm, I'm getting to do that now. I get to sit in quarterback meetings. I get to uh, be around the offensive line. I get to pop in and out of different groups. And it's fun to watch our coaches coach. They're, we, we hired some outstanding teachers and uh, you know some outstanding coaches. But for me, it's fun to be around and involved in every part of, of the game rather than just one side of the ball. It's a work day, right? Only one way we do things. Get in here, G. Only one way we do things, right? Physical, hard, fast. Hitman on three. One, two, three, hitman. Let's go, let's go, let's go. You have a reputation at this point as an elite recruiter. You know, what was the first job where you were really immersed in the recruiting process? And, and why do you think you were you were taken by it enough to, to invest so much of yourself to, to be as successful as you've been? Well, I think um, we've all heard it a million times as Jimmy and Joe's, not X's and O's. And um, when I was a graduate assistant at Pitt and then, you know, even at Arizona State, I would say that that was where I really learned the quickest way I can add value to the organization is help help us get other players. Uh, and I felt like, yeah, I can I can be the guy that pours a cup of coffee. I can be the guy that draws a, a drawing on PowerPoint or pulls a, a cut up a film or break down, breaks down film. But the best way that I can make our program better um, is sign players. And I had some fortune there, you know, where, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time talking to players and recruiting players uh, in my time there, was able to sign some guys. And I think ultimately, no one cares what a young co coach knows. They want to know what they can add as value. And I felt like the quickest way I could add value was as a recruiter. And then people, they'll care what you know. And I think Mike Norvell 
knew I was a good ball coach, but took a chance on me because he knew I was going to be able to bring players into the organization. And I, you know, I think I took a similar approach to hiring our staff. It's great if you're a great coach and you have to be, I don't think you have to sacrifice here, but I wasn't going to sacrifice having a great coach and not having a great recruiter. You have to be able to build elite relationships um, and coaching is great and it's a huge piece of it, um, you know, but it's not the biggest piece and it's not the only piece. You have to be able to, to bring players here too. So that's probably something I learned quick. The explosion of resources here specific to recruiting the last five years or so um, has really been impressive and, and something to behold. And, you know, it's easy to draw a line between Coach Cristobal coming here from Alabama and showing everybody, hey, this is this is how they do it at that level. And so you might think about incorporating A, B, C, X, Y, Z. When you got to Alabama, was that just the size of the staff, the resources they devoted, uh, and in particular to recruiting, um, was that different than other places you'd been? Yeah, to that point in my career, I had not been anywhere like that. Yeah, it was, was certainly different. And, you know, I think the biggest thing learning that is just the fact that it's 365 days a year. It's, you know, it's like shaving. If you don't do it one day, you don't start to look as good, right? You, recruiting is, it's about consistency. It's not just about flash. Um, but you want to be in a place that's, you know, part of the haves, not, not the have-nots. And Oregon's a half. You know, we have great resources, but we have to continue to push to expand those resources. Um, and we, we, we have shown over time that you can get elite players here. And you've also, we've also shown that elite players can have a lot of success here. So that's our goal. We want to go recruit the best of the best. Um, we want to target great players, but we want to be consistent in our approach as we go get them. In recruiting, I'm, you know, I'm sure that's been a key for you too, just finding ways to connect with different kids from different backgrounds, different regions of the country. Do you have a sense for kind of why that's been a strength of yours? Was, you know, was it your parents? Was it some mentors you had early on that you just you 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 found some keys to being able to connect with with people and meet meet them on their terms a little bit. I mean, ultimately, I just enjoy people, right? I I'm, I, I like being around people, and uh, I enjoy genuine relationships. I pe I think people recognize fake and they recognize real. And if I didn't enjoy you know talking and and visiting with people, I, then recruiting probably wouldn't be a strength for me. I think I also recognize quickly too it's necessary and required, right? I'm I'm not the coach that feels like I'm going to beat you just because of, well, you know, I have the pencil last, right? And we're able to draw up the best play. Uh, I do think we'll be able to do that at times, but that's not gonna be the only reason we're successful. And I want every advantage we can, we can possibly have, but people recognize real, right? Relationships, and that's truly where it starts. And that's all recruiting is, is relationships. You're 35 years old. At what point did the idea of being a head coach at this point in your life, relatively early, start to seem like a realistic goal and something you might have even been striving for? I don't know if I told you this before or not, but I used to write my goals on my mirror. Um, and that really probably started when I was um, a graduate assistant at Arizona State, but I can, I can remember some of those goals like yesterday. I want to be a championship father, championship husband. I want to be, want to sign five recruits. I want to be full-time next year, right? And one of the goals on the mirror there is I want to be a head coach by the time I'm 35. And that was, you know, something I remember like yesterday, you know, kind of going through that approach. And I do believe that you can speak things into existence. You know, I think that if you set a goal in front of yourself, it can be something that you can target and achieve. Now, the reality is for me, the last, you know, four years, 
being a head coach wasn't listening to my mirror anymore as a, as an active goal. You know, so, you know, that being said, I was really comfortable in the role I was in. I enjoyed being a defensive coordinator. I loved coaching where I was at. Um, but I think I always knew it could be a possibility if I worked really hard. And I think the last few years, it's really been more of a testament. If you, if you focus on where you're at, you put your head down and you grind, great things will come. And that's kind of how this all kind of came to fruition for me here. It wasn't because I was actively pursuing a head coaching job. It was more so uh, being around good people, being in a great place where we were able to have some, some success, uh, right place, right time. And then the perfect opportunity came. So to some extent, it sounds like you're saying, hey, you felt like you started to position yourself pretty well. So you didn't need to be thinking about that every single day as a tangible goal, that that was going to come if you just kind of kept your head down and kept doing what you were doing. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I did not um, by any means wake up every day when I was at Georgia or, or even Memphis and say, OK, I want to be a head coach. I want to be a head coach. You know, my goal when I woke up every morning is I want to be the best defensive coordinator I can be at the University of Georgia. And um, I knew that opportunities, if we had success at Georgia, if I was able to pour in those players and us, us be successful, that other opportunities would come. And they did. I mean, this wasn't the first time that an opportunity came. There was a lot of opportunities that came, but this is the one that made the most sense. Thanks for listening to part one of our chat with Dan Lanning. Don't miss part two coming up in April as we dive into what Coach has in store for the Ducks this year and how excited he is for the season. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.